You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Welcome to episode 88 of Three Geeky Ladies. I'm Elisa Paselli, and with me today is Suze Gilbert. How are you, Suze? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. You've probably heard of him in the podcasting arena. Uh, he had his own podcast for a long time, has a new one that just started recently, and he's been a guest on many others. And we would like to welcome to the show Victor Kahiao. Hi, Victor. Hi, you guys. How are you doing? Good, good. We're so happy that that you joined us today. And the reason why we wanted to have you on the show is to talk to you about audio. You are an audio expert in the podcasting world and also in the musical arena. Could you give uh, the listeners who are unfamiliar with you a little bit of your background in audio? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, First of all, I am not an expert, so (laughs) I am not an expert (laughs) at anything except breathing in and out. I do that very well. Uh, So it's just important to note that because there are experts out there, people that are regarded in the industry and they should be given their respect. I am an enthusiast. I am a professional uh, editor and uh, mixing person when it comes to music. And yes, I've done it for podcasts for a long time. So I'm a very knowledgeable person, but I would not want to put myself up there as an expert. Uh, I've been around sound forever. I mean, I was that kid, you know, in school at fifth and sixth grade who the teacher would have run the projector. That was the kid, you know, and I became then the AV kid, you know, in junior high. And I worked at the television station that we had in junior high there. So I was always had my finger into this media type technology and that always involved sound. So some of those principles uh, that we use today, like proper modulation, you know, having things not be too loud, uh, something called gain staging, and uh, which we can talk about a little bit. All of those things were very familiar to me from a very early age. Uh, when I became a musician, you know, started playing the saxophone at 14, got into rock and roll bands by 17, played nightclubs all throughout my teens, uh, late teens, and through my 30s professionally, four or five nights a week. Again, we were always dealing with sound equipment, having to break down, having to set up, having to deal with different environments and how to make things sound good, music mostly. So I was always involved in music in one way or another, and I still am, just released a record that I produced and mixed and and play on along with my partner, Joe Christina, who him and I wrote all the music. So yeah, I've been around this thing for a long, long time. And um, and then podcasting, we can talk about that. But that's uh, my general outline. 2005, I became a podcaster. It seemed like an easy thing for me because like, hey, I had a mic and hey, I had a board and I had a USB interface. So why not go for it? And so I started doing it then. And, you know, I listened back to some of those early shows that I had and I cringe because they sounded terrible. So, um, you know, so I, I, I was on a mission to make sure that my sound, whenever I was in mic, was the very best that it could be. And so I reached out to a lot of others to learn a lot of things to make that happen. I guess I'll stop there and take a breather. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take any online classes? Did you read blogs? Was it one-on-one that, you know, someone stood over your shoulder and said, do this and do this? Well, when it came to audio, um, only when it came to professional mixing for music applications in today's environment, using Pro Tools, using some of the very latest uh, plugins that are available for audio in the music industry. Yes, I have been studying that for the last couple of years, and I'm just, I'm a consumer. YouTube videos, lynda.com, you know, podcasts. Anywhere that I can learn, I will learn because I'm the kind of learner that I need to kind of read it once and then watch it once and then do it once. You know, it's kind of like that old, uh, the way that doctors were taught, you know, you, you, you watch it, you do it, and then you teach it. And then that's when you know you really have it. So yeah, I'm, I am in a constant state of learning and improving when it comes to anything having to do with audio because I just, I love it. Yeah, I'm the same way as far as my learning. I have to see it on the video and then do it. Yep. 
yeah. have it side by side. Because one of the problems that I have as a podcaster is when Suze and Vicky and I decided to do this podcast, there really wasn't anything that I could find online to help me with editing in GarageBand and setting levels and using things like Audio Hijack and what all those different modules mean. I know they're there, but why do I use them? What do they mean? And to this day, I still can't find a really good resource that says, well, in this case, you should use this, or here's why you're having a problem with your sound. It's because you're doing X instead of Y. Well, you know what's happened, Alyssa, I think in the podcasting space especially, is that the resources that are out there have become amateurs who are all of a sudden gurus. And that's why when you first introduced me, I wanted to say, I'm not that guy. Because those folks now have started websites where they are pay-to-play, membership, and all of a sudden they are the gurus of podcasts and they're going to teach you these things once you get behind their paywall. Now, I have a problem with that because podcasting for me is a very uh, roots-based type thing and everybody's going to make a living at something and that's fine, but to take information that you've gotten out there for free and then repackage it into some kind of pixie dust magic, it's BS as far as I'm concerned. You know, like for myself, for example, very early on in 2005, there were a couple of gentlemen, Doug Kay. Paul Figiani, who were there at the earliest onset, teaching us all how to do this correctly or as correctly as it could be done then. And so, you know, I learned from those guys and they weren't doing it for pay. They were sharing it for fun and for free. And so I got to know those guys. I listened to their podcasts when they had them. Uh, Paul Figiani to this day, when it comes to spoken word, is my audio mentor and much of what I know about audio podcasting I owe to Paul. And he charges nothing. You can go out there to Google groups on podcasting and he's out there putting out very technical, geeky stuff that unfortunately most of the time gets ignored because podcasters don't want to go to the degree of perfection in audio quality that is really required if you're going to really do this seriously. They just want to get a couple of microphones, you know, run it through level later post it, and that's it. Well, that's okay. It's just not the way I want a podcast. Mm -hmm. I think there is a commodification, though, of information. I think people like to do that, Victor. I think people like to, you know, glean free information, and then they put a little spin on it, and then they say, okay, you know, I can make money from this. But, you know, I, I love the fact, for me, I can go on YouTube, or I can... Um, you know, get some PDFs online and just research it myself. Because I agree with you. I really hate the paywall stuff. I really, it irritates me. That's been an irritant for a long time for me. Right. I, I mean, if you're going to do the paywall stuff and you're working for lynda.com and you, you know, they have, I mean, you have credentials. Right. Uh, you, 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 are prof you are a true professional. You have a degree in audio engineering. Okay, fine. And there are those sites out there and I'm happy to pay some of those sites. And I do, for example, on music mixing. But if you're Victor, and now all of a sudden, because I've been podcasting for 10 years, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll let you know what those modules are on Audio Hijack Pro, but give yeah. me 30 bucks a month, or please donate to my Patreon because I can't eat. Well, you know, I have a problem with that, especially when you go to their Patreon and they have five people that are sponsoring them. Guess what? You're not really a guru at anything. You're just trying to monetize information that you got like the rest of us. Yeah. And I really am. And the other model that's becoming, I think, I don't know if Adobe was one of the first that started it with creative cloud, but it just seems like everything, even apps now that you download on the app store, everything is the subscription model, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, that what I understand a little bit more because I mean, companies like Adobe and Pro Tools, the, the, what I use to to do most of my recording with um, in the music world, for sure. I mean, these companies have a lot of overhead and they have to um, continuously develop to new standards. And so right. I, I, I get that model a little bit more. I, I understand what they're going with that. I know that recently uh, when, um, I guess, who was it that just went to that model and they caused kind of a kerfuffle uh, among the Mac oh, community. Oh, um, smile. That's a great word. Smile. smile. <laughs> right. Smile. smile. A great company, great products, 
boy, did they shake the waters up, you know? Mm. And and I was and I was like, I had to step back for a second and go, you know what? These guys have to make a living too, and there's a lot more competition. And especially in the iOS world, and more so in Mac world, even now, there's this weird race to the bottom, right? And and these these developers can't produce this quality software with a race to the bottom. You know, they can't do it, and so they have to change kind of the, the way that they're doing things. Smile, I, I think, is going to do it successfully. Uh, Marco Arbent has done so with his podcasting application, going to the Patreon model, giving it away. And, and, and so that's an interesting one. So that one I get a little bit more uh, because these are uh, software pieces that I am choosing to buy because of an excellence. Joe Schmo starts to give me a subscription model. I'm just not going to buy his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I find that just mediocre apps are doing that in the app store right now as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the payroll, uh, payroll, paywall, Victor, um, I found that when I looked into some of those, it seemed to me that they were catering to the person or groups of people who want to monetize their podcast and yes. are have you know, tens of thousands of listeners. That's not what I'm interested in. We're not interested in monetizing. I'm interested in getting information to make the best sound possible within the budget and the means that we have. And unfortunately, when I've looked on places like Linda or other sites, the the um, the videos that they have available are for music, not for podcasting or just sound in general. So I'm kind of stuck in like a, almost like a rock in a hard place trying to right. get this information. I'm willing to pay for it sure. if it answers the questions that I have. And so far, I have not been able to find it. Yeah, you're, you're not alone. And you're right about the behind the paywall people. They're catering to what I like to call the huckster sphere. You know, the guys that are out there, you know, hawking their real estate deal and you're going to get rich quick, you know. And so those guys, because they're monetizing, they're willing to pay the quote unquote guru 2500 bucks just to get the quality uh, that most of us are getting for fun and for free, right? So I, I think I mean, for you and others listening, you know, the Google Plus group out there that's on podcasting uh, is a really good resource to just reach out and ask questions. Paul Figiani, who I was talking about earlier, his uh, handle is Produce New Media, both on Twitter, and he is a great resource uh, who who will happily, you know, write about very detailed information about this stuff. Uh, he gets in pretty deep, so you got to be willing to go deep. Uh, and he's a guy who will answer questions and so on, as long as the intent isn't then to turn around and you know sell what he just gave you, you know. So so I would definitely check him out as a resource. Mm-hmm. And you can always call me too. I mean, I'm happy to share what I have for free. Now, how long did it take before you felt comfortable with your recording process for podcasting? Um, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> or is it still a work in progress for you? It's always a work in progress. It really is because it changes all, all the time. Spoken word versus music is a very unique animal, you know, because uh, you have some things to deal with that you don't really have to deal with in the same way in music. So I'll give you an example, just a vocal. If I'm going to record a singer in music, you know, I can bring that singer in here and make sure that we have a good mic for, for him or her, make sure that I have a reasonable level going into Pro Tools or Logic or GarageBand. And by that, I mean, I'm just simply not peaking, you know. And and then after that, you know, I'll be able to manipulate that vocal through plugins, reverb to create space, delay to create space, a little bit of compression because the singer has a lot of dynamics and sometimes speaks very softly and sometimes goes very loudly. So those kind of principles apply to that kind of music. Uh, Now, when we're talking about spoken word, some of those same principles apply. You need to make sure, obviously, that you record at decent levels. So that's the same. You don't have to worry about spatial concerns. There is no reverb or delays in most podcasts. So that's out of it. 
quite the opposite. You have to kind of make sure you're recording in a room that is kind of dry and has maybe a lot of things, you know, rugs on the wall or bookcases that are absorbing and reflecting sound. Those are the best spaces to record in. You know, don't record your podcast in a square room with no pictures or anything or furniture in the room. Terrible place to record a podcast. So you have to take that into consideration. And then things like compression do come into play. So, uh, you know, whenever I do post, even when I go before I send you this audio we're recording right now, I'm going to take a look at the audio. I'm going to listen to it for a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to see dynamically, you know, did I speak softly and then loudly? And then I want to use compression not too much, to even out those highs and lows. A compressor is really nothing more than an automated little person riding the fader all the time. That's what a compressor does. It looks at the audio and says, oh, it came down. Let me write it up a little bit. Oh, it's too loud. Let me write it down. So that you get a more even level across the entire show you know, per person. And so that's what a compressor does. You don't want to hit it too hard because then you get that Johnny FM sound that, you know, some people love. I don't. So you want to compress just enough. And then those are the keys. And then we can talk about the next step, which is how do you prepare this file that you have now with now with you and Suzay and me for post-production, for actually putting it out as an MP3. And there are some requirements, believe it or not, around loudness that then have to be applied. But again, I'll take a breath because I, I could just go on if you, if you let me. <laughs> no, I find it interesting because... I do too. I don't know if I have the equipment to do that or the software to do that, or maybe I do, and I just have no idea how to apply it. That's right. And, and that's what happens with most people. And that's that gap that you're talking about where a lot of people, you know, don't or haven't put out a lot of information about this or folks don't know where to find it. Hey, I'm going to take you back to Paul. Again, Paul taught me a lot. He's got some great written articles about compression and how do you use compression, about loudness normalization and how do you use that. Uh, you know, there's no sense in us spending time explaining all that. Go look up Paul's articles on Google Plus on this stuff. Get ready for a deep dive. Get ready to really learn because Paul does nothing at a C. Everything is done to the nth degree. I mean, I sent, Paul and I have worked together and, and I have sent him audio and he has rejected and said, no, nah, this isn't good enough, Victor, because it's off by 0. 0.0003 <laughs> dB of what the standard says, which is podcast should be distributed at minus 19 loudness units, full scale, mono, and minus 16 stereo. Well, those numbers exist for a reason. And if you go and listen to your podcast that you guys listen to and were to measure those, they are all over the place. And, you know, and they, they conform to no standard. And that's why you're, when you're in a car, you have to turn down and up the knob. You can't hear it right. One person speaking, you can't hear. The next person speaking, you hear too loud. Because no, none of that attention to detail has been paid. Why? Because we had something like Levelator, which is great, five, six years ago, that was doing some of this background stuff for you. See, it was acting like a compressor. It was acting like a leveler and giving you consistent audio at standards that had not been set by the industry yet in 2010. Well, those standards have been now set by you know the industry, AES, the people who actually have a standard for this. And so now there is a standard, but people are still using the no longer supported levelator to just drop their file and go up, oh, hope and a prayer, submit. Which and is what I do. It's what most people do. Don't I, I'm not judging. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying if we're gonna if we're gonna get into an education thing, then let's get educated. What mm -hmm. everyone is doing is fine. It works. Most people don't give up. <laughs> really, they don't. You know, and people, man, people come down on me on this all the time. I'm like. You are so freaking anal retentive. Who the hell cares? No one ever asked me what the loudness units were on a podcast I'd ever listened to or I'd never asked. Okay. I can't argue with you there. But, you know, when you go look at a picture from a photographer that you love, 
you know, versus an amateur. You don't know the work that may have been gone, gone behind the scenes to just tweak a couple of things. You're not recreating the picture. You're just doing a couple of things that make a huge difference, you know? And, and, uh, and so if you are in that mode where you want to learn how to do that, why not go do it? Spend an extra hour, learn, it'll get shorter, you'll get a workflow, and then you're pretty much going to be done and your quality is going to go up so much that, you, that you're going to know. Even if they don't know, you're going to know. And, and it makes a huge difference, you know? Right, right. Really I mean, does. I've heard varying things about podcasts. Some people think record and get it out there. I mean, there's so many podcasts that 10 minutes after they're done recording, it's out there for the world. Of course, they have mixers and they also know more of what they're doing. And part of me says, we're not getting paid for this. This is something that the three of us are doing volunteer. Right. What difference does it make if the quality is so-so, if it's good, but at the same time, and I think because it's just my personality, I feel like if I'm going to do this, even though I'm not getting paid for it, I want it to be the best possibly best possible representation it can be because this is reflecting on me and Suzanne That's it. and That's Vicky. It. That's it. And I want people to look at the three of us and say, this is great. You know, the sound quality is great. Everything sounds good. How do they do it? Well, that's it, right? And, and again, God bless all those people that do it that other way. Really, I really truly mean that. They're proud of it. It's awesome. It's out in 15 minutes. It, cool, cool. But if you want to learn, if you are, what I'm hearing you say, Alyssa, is you're that person, you know, that person, and to say you may be too, I don't know you well enough to know, that really wants to dig deeper and learn about new things. And hey, guess what? It may cost you a few bucks. Everything, mm-hmm. everything in life does. You know, the internet isn't free, folks. That's a myth. Just because it's online, it doesn't mean it's free. You know, and we have to get over that weird social construct that we have developed as a society that if it's online, it must be free. Bull. Or that it's accurate and good. Exactly. People work hard to be able to develop tools to do this. You know, an example would be like a DSer. Do you guys DS your podcast before you publish it? You know, I never heard of it until I heard you talking on the MyMac podcast last week. And you talked about DS. I'm like, what? I I, I could figure out what it meant, but I never heard of it. Right, because nobody does it in podcasting. I mean, I do it, but it's it's called sibilance. When I say sibilance, you're hearing oh, yes, the S's yes. that poke out. Now, again, this comes from traditional recording techniques that were done in music and spoken word forever. Uh, nobody's inventing anything here. And taking out the S's, the process of taking out the S's is called the de And in order to do that, what you're basically doing and what a DSer plugin does, and you can buy DSer plugins probably from as cheap as $50 to sky's the limit, is in essence what it does, it's an equalizer that takes a specific frequency where S's happen, usually between 7,000 hertz and 10,000 hertz, somewhere in there, and it does a notch filter which if you can just think of filter of a notch filter as a very skinny thing that says, okay, between 7,000 hertz and 8,000 hertz, drop everything down by 8 dB, 12 decibels. Okay, so that in essence is what it's doing. But a de-esser does it quickly. It doesn't make you figure out where the sibilance is happening. You could do it by hand. You could take an equalizer that has a notch filter. You could look at the waveform and say, oh, whenever I say Sam, I see that about 78K of 7,800, that's where it is. And I'm going to put a notch filter on that. That's a lot of work. So you just buy a de-esser and it kind of just figures out where the S's are happening and it kind of drops them automatically. And you're off, you know, you're off to the races. It's done. So is it a big deal? No, but for some people who have problems with S's, it's a huge deal. You know, I DS everything when a singer is singing, you know, in music, because that's always an issue in singing, you know, uh, less so in podcasting. So, so that's one thing. And then the other, the other concept is the compressor that we talked about, right? That automatic little person that's in there, uh, making sure that your levels are consistent across the program. 
just in, across the program. And I mean that from beginning to end, not in this one little spot, not only uh, person one between minute 10 and 12, the entire program. If you're doing a three person podcast, like you guys are doing, Alyssa, you should process every voice individually first mm-hmm. for compression, DSing, you know, and, and, and also for, um, and and excuse me for compression and DSing. Then after you do that and you're putting it together, I'm assuming you're doing that in the Garage Band. Yes. Th- then then you need to make sure that the entire program before it goes out, that all of that is being compressed a little bit less than the original. You know, probably around a one and a half to one ratio. And uh, again, you can learn all about compression on the internet. There are a lot of free resources about com- voice compression. A- and then what that's going to happen to that is that your file coming out of GarageBand is going to be darn near ready to publish without Levelator. You know, even if you put it through Levelator and so use that at that point, it's going to just make sure that it's even more consistent, you know, but you might not even need it very much. Now, I don't use Levelator. I use, you know, uh, Pro Tools, and I do that all by hand by putting compression at the end. You know, another tool that you can use, like, are you guys familiar with Aphonic? No. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, really, really great uh, site in England. It's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. In this website, yeah, it's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Okay. Right. Write it down. Right. And if, what's neat about Aphonic is uh, you know, they make... Um, software if you want it for your Mac and you want to do it yourself, or you can just have them do it. You can literally have them, you upload your audio to them and they intelligently level it. They give you loudness normalization that is compliant with the ERBJ or R128 standard that I talked about. You know, they'll do multi-trap uh, algorithms where they I do automatic uh, ducking and noise reduction, you know, and so you can upload your files and they'll kind of do all that for you. I don't know what their prices are, but I do use their software. They have a downloadable software where I can take a, a leveling um, mechanism like Levelator, but they just have that built in and I can take my finished file and just put it through the leveling mechanism and I know I'm going to be compliant to that minus 19 mono or minus 16 stereo standard. You know, um, Allison Sheridan was using Levelator forever, and I think I finally beat her into submission enough that she changed <laughs> over and bought a phonic, and I believe that she's still using it and, and is happy with it. So uh, they do a lot of different services. Uh, so check them out, because if you don't want to do a lot of that work yourself, like get rid of noise, background noise, you know, uh, make sure that things are um, loud and normalized, and leveled, you know, they'll do that for to your file for you. So, but you know, you got to pay. You got to right. pay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were saying earlier about not not recording in a square room and having things on the walls, what do you mm-hmm. suggest for people like me, for like Suze, who we want the best sound possible for the location that we're in, uh, whether it's for podcasting or whether we're working in a home office and we have to Skype or FaceTime with our clients, but we we don't have the resources to get the eggshell, you know, foam padding on the walls like many podcasters do. Do you have any recommendations to make our, you know, our our area as? Sure, yes. sure I do. Uh, sure I do. And, and I'm going to uh, point you to a, a website from a very well-regarded and known mastering engineer uh, that masters records for a living. Uh, his site is Productional, sorry, productionadvice.co.uk. Okay. All right. Now, he has a series of um, blog posts and I believe YouTube videos where he talks about the entire process of making a room sound better from start to scratch. 99% of the podcasters listening out there won't need to do all of that. But he gives some very good recommendation about materials that we can all use and some of the concepts around geometry in rooms and and bouncing of sound that we can use. And for little money and a little bit of sweat equity, 
we can make a few of these panels, which are two inch thick, um, you know, kind of absorbent material and then fabric. I, I don't want to say the name because I don't remember, but you can make a huge difference. And again, this is based on um, acoustic principles that have been around forever. And, and the basic acoustic principle is that we live in houses with rectangle and square rooms. And whenever you're speaking to a microphone in your house, it's not that you're trying to soundproof your house. That's not the concept we're going for. Soundproofing would be, I'm in a loud rock band. I don't want the next door neighbor to hear my drummer. Right. I'm, what you're trying to do is you're you're trying to enhance the sound on your room for recording. And the way that you do that is because we have these rectangle rooms, what happens with sound is that it reflects off everything in front of you behind you as you talk, and then the corners build up bass um, frequencies. They get built up, and then those bass frequencies come back into your microphone and color your sound. Those reflections come back into your microphone and color your sound. So the whole concept around sound treatment of a room is that you're going to take this room, which ideally would have uh, walls set at a 45 degree angle and pitched at about a 90 degree angle. Well, that would be a silly room. So it's going to have you do some treatment that'll make you, that sound break up by, by putting, for example, in my room, I have a, uh, about a four by eight panel in on top of me. I've got four by two, four by four panels in front of me. I've got six by four panels on the side of me. And I've got about an eight by eight panel behind me. And so, and I, and I only did this in the last year because I was going to do the record and I needed to make super sure that when I listened to my music, it wasn't being colored by this room. So again, a podcaster can spend probably $250 in material and a day's worth of work and their room can sound a thousand percent better than it does today by doing that. So go check out uh, Ian's, I think it's a blog post on room treatment and, uh, and, and you will get all kinds of information about that because he did it for, uh, you know, a complete mastering studio, which obviously we don't need. Hmm. So before we switch over to your music career, do you have any um, recommendations for software or hardware that someone should buy if they're thinking about starting their own podcast or what steps they need to take before they, they publish? Well, I mean, you could really keep it pretty simple. I think that's uh, that's uh, important. Uh, and by the way, I just sent you a Skype link to that Ian Shepard article, kind of like the very bare minimum you need okay. for room treatment. Okay, great. And I'll, I'll add that to the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, again, if you're really just starting out, I would not do anything more than uh, you know use something like uh, in a microphone with a USB built-in interface. Like there's an Audio Technica. That every podcast, I mean, tons of podcasters use. Um, let me see if I can get you the model number. I mean, it's like the sweetheart microphone for, there it is. It's the Audio Technica ATR 2100 USB mic. Okay. So this is a microphone that has both USB and XLR outputs. So that way, if you start, you can just use it as a USB, go right into your Mac. Uh, you, you, you can monitor right from it. You can record with GarageBand. That's free. And so you can get, you can get this going very cheap. You know, this microphone, a $15 desk stand, a good pair of headphones, and you're off to the races. But this microphone is decent enough for $80 that as you grow, you know, if you get a board, if you grow, whatever, it still has an XLR plug so that you can just use it as a traditional microphone as well. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's been so well regarded. So you can keep it pretty simple and, and, and yeah, and just get your voice out. I mean, the most important rule of podcasting to me is, you know, get out what you need to get out and be prepared not to publish like your first five shows. And then work on your audio and work on your content and work on your editing and work on getting better at the ums and ums. And just, you know, don't push publish for five shows. And then when you when it's been refined, then go ahead and push public and, and publish and then see if uh, people want to hear your story. At, at the bottom of the line is that uh, no matter what your audio sounds like, if your content is compelling enough, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And one thing I was told was to get headphones that are in ear so I can hear myself. 
Do you agree with that? Because I tried it once and I couldn't do it because all I focused on was the sound of my voice in my ears. And I ended up talking very slowly <laughs> because of it. So I just wear over the head. Um, I'm not, I can't remember the name brand of these headphones, but they're just over the ear cans. Right, right. No, yes, I agree with it. I highly recommend that you wear um, something, if it's going to be over the ear, make sure that they are um, not open headphones. Because if they're open and we're having a Skype conversation, then you'll be able to hear the other person all the time and your microphone is picking up on that. Bar none, the best set of headphones that you can buy for the money for podcasting, in my opinion, are the Sony MDR7506s. They are $80. They are an enclosed, uh, very high-quality pair of headphones. Music sounds great. It's a little bit colored, a little tiny bit bass-heavy. But for podcasting, they're great because they're closed. They sound good no matter what you're using them for, and they're $80. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know because I'm always struggling with headphones i i borrow my husband's usually he's got a really sweet wireless pair that he uses for conference calls but they're only um for a pc they're not you know apple compatible wow. so it's frustrating yeah yeah I, those sony's i just can't recommend them enough they are they're one of the most popular headphones period out there uh if you go to amazon you'll see that they're like their top seller list because okay. one of the problems that i have when i'm editing and as you know we record each of us records our own track and then we put them together mm -hmm. is that I can hear some, when, when one person is talking, let's say Suze is talking and I'm not, I can hear her voice on my track. That's right. And, and, that, and we, it's constant for all three of us. And it's like, what are we doing? We're all using good microphones. We all have on headphones. Like, why is this happening? Well, two easy fixes to that. First of all, turn down your headphones as you're recording so that you don't have to hear yourselves as much. There's no need to really hear or the other person. You can you can still do it, but so everybody turn down their headphones. That'll that'll improve your problem five hundred percent. So okay. that's one. Two, if you're not using in ear headphones that are closed or over the ear headphones that are not the open kind but they're closed, like the Sony MDR seventy five oh sixes, then that's your problem. In essence, you're using a speaker. Your headphone by design is acting like a speaker and your microphone is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And it's picking up the voice of the other people as you're speaking. Okay. We, we now, figured it was probably mm -hmm. headphone leak, but we weren't a hundred percent. Right. Like I said, it, next show, just have everybody turn whatever level they're listening to each other on right now, have them turn it down by half. It'll make them, first of all, it'll make them pay more attention because they have to listen more. Mm -hmm. And it'll make it easier for you during editing. Okay, I'm looking on Amazon right now with those headphones, and what I have is similar, similar okay. type of style. What what model uh, do you have? Um, what is mine? I don't have the case in front of me. Oh, hold on, so let me take mine off and tell you. Yeah, take um, your off and tell me. Yep. It doesn't. It it doesn't say on the headphone itself. I can't remember. Pro okay, when you, something I can't remember exactly. I want to say they're about two hundred dollars. Okay, when you look at the back of the headphone, not where you put your ear, but the back, okay. is it solid or does it have like a little grill? Um, the side of the headphone itself, yes, is solid, but it's got like three little V's on it. Hmm. Okay. Um, when you, I mean, you can try this right now because you told me it didn't matter how long the podcast went. If if you were to just take your headphones off right now, put the cups together, can you still hear me fairly well, even though you might hold them away from you seven inches? Okay, I'm going to do that right now. So start talking. Okay. So if you have open headphones, you can probably hear me pretty darn well, you know, and, and so let me know if you can hear me well. Put your headphones back on now, Lisa. I could hear you. Okay. You it probably wasn't totally have... clear, but I could hear sound. Right. And it's not going to be totally clear. And with me, it would be the same thing. If I took even these closed ones, if I take them off and my volume is too hot, I'm going to hear a little bit. Let me try that. You talk. Okay. So you recommend highly the Sony MDR7506 headphones. Right. See, I can barely hear you. 
I can barely hear you. Okay. Now, the other thing in editing, Alyssa, that I do that you – this is a pain. Again, this is going that extra mile, right? Mm-hmm. Is for each track that a person sends me, in between talking, I silence everything they're saying. Now, some people go, oh, no, don't do that. You're taking that natural background. I'm in a retentive. So I simply silence <laughs> everything. Okay? And so, so by the time that I put it into GarageBand as a multi-pie project – there is none of that leakage. It's gone because I've silenced it. You know, uh, when I'm editing, I just highlight whatever is not being said, and I just put right-click silence. In the, I use Audition for that. Mm-hmm. And so it just silences it. I don't know if GarageBand has an equivalent. Uh, so you can you can do that. If you can't silence it, highlight all the stuff in between and simply go to your uh, gain and reduce it by 20 dB. I delete. You know? Okay. Deleting, of course, is the other way to do it. You know, just because deleting just means that then you end up with a, I, I do silence because when I bring my stems into GarageBand equivalent, I want everything to be lined up. So I don't delete until I'm in Pro Tools. In your case, I don't delete until I'm in GarageBand. You're obviously doing all of it in GarageBand. Right. I mean, silencing would be so much easier because I cannot tell you how many times I've listened to the finished podcast and realized that I deleted someone speaking and had to go back in and fix that. Which is right. not undoable, but it's just, ugh, more work to do. So silencing would be so much easier. But I delete so that you don't hear the echoing of someone else talking, you know, that kind of right. thing. And, of course, there are other ways, right? I mean, I'm recording mine right now, and when I send you my file, there will be nothing in between at all. Not because I'm going to go in there and delete or silence everything that I send you, but because right now I'm using a program by Waves that I picked up probably for about $70 called NS1. And this program is in line with my Audio Hijack Pro recording. So it's between my uh, microphone and my output. And it is constantly monitoring my voice for when I start speaking. It's acting as what's called a noise gate, but a very gentle noise gate. A lot of people use noise gates, but then it just sounds terrible. This one is very nice. It did cost me $70, but it prevents my sound from being bad because every time I stop talking, it basically shuts down and gives me minimum volume automatically. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so I know you said that you had to to be somewhere soon, but I don't want to uh, let you go before you talk about your new music CD. Tell us about how that came about. Well, it came about as one of the gifts of being retired and being able to reignite my my musical career. Uh, I, like I said, I've played music all of my life. I've written music all of my life, contemporary jazz. Um, so April of last year, I retired. By about July of last year, I said, you know, I really want to do another album. I contacted my musical partner, Joe Christina. We got together. We had music that we had had stored since 2011. And we started working on that. Uh, we started writing the music, making demos in Logic, uh, using all the bag of tricks. Uh, I wanted to learn all about mixing. So I started or more about mixing in 2016, not what I knew from 1995, which was the last time I did an album. So I started learning all about that. I hired a mentor who was a three or four time Grammy award winning mixer, you know, to mentor me through the process of mixing this record. So all along the way, from about July forward, I would send him rough mixes of what I did, and he'd come back and go, that sounds like poop. You know, you need to do this. Try, you know, I'm not hearing enough space between the guitars. See what you can do about that, and then send me the next copy. You know, and so I hired a pro to really, no holds barred, you know, tell me what my music needed to sound like so that I could get better at mixing, you know, and he, and he got me to the point where little by little, by the time the record was finished, I had to do the tiniest little moves. I had to move a guitar, you know, 30 degrees to the left. And I went, Oh yeah, well, that makes a huge difference. But that took some time and a process. And, uh, Pete Karam, who was the gentleman I'm talking about, is my favorite mixer of all times. He he records for my favorite artist, Pat Metheny. He's won two Grammys with him. He just got record of the year, you know, for uh, Eliana Elisa's um, uh, Latin Grammy of the Year album. He did uh, the Jersey Boys Broadway album. And this guy's got chops. 
And mm. so I hired him and I said, what will you charge me to master the album and mentor me? And he gave me a price and I paid it, you know, and it was so worth it because I'm so much more of a better mixer today. You know, and I gained a friend and, and I, and now the next album, I can do it. I got it, you know, but it was constant, constant studying and work and spending money on all kinds of plugins that I never used in order to discover the ones that I eventually would use, you know, so it was all a process of throwing enough money and time, you know, like anything else in life, right? Money and time tends to fix things. Right. Well, this was one of those. And I have a blast. I mean, every day for me in the last year is like wake up and it's Christmas. You know, I've said it probably in about 10 podcasts. I would wake up and I'm like, what is my adventure for today? Oh, great. I get to make this vocalist sound like this. I get to make this guitar sound like that. And it was just fun and joyful the whole time. So the album is out there for sale. Uh, and uh, you can go get it. Surrendermusic2016.com or Apple iTunes or Apple Music, you can listen to it for free, Spotify for free, YouTube for free. But, you know, buy it. If you like it, buy it. Uh, and, and it's all about the music, 17 wonderful musicians. And, and so it was a joy to work, up, uh, to do the music, to learn how to mix. It was just, it hit me as a technical and artistic guy that I kind of live at the intersection, you know, of technology and the arts, like Steve Jobs said, that's kind of where I sit. So for me, it was just, uh, it was just a joy to do. And hopefully that comes through any music. I'd like to ask you about your uh, musical influences because my son, I know you play, you're a saxophonist. Is Mm -hmm. that true? And my son um, had his own, I was telling the three key ladies, he had his own jazz band in high school called the Mega Dudes. Uh-huh. And he played for, you know, the school jazz band. But he started with um, alto and then went to tenor. Mm-hmm. And I know I used to have to bring him down to Boston frequently. Um, and we always listened to Arturo Sandoval and Paquito de Rivera, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And I started to get... I just started loving that music because I love jazz anyway, but mm-hmm. I just love Latin jazz. And have ha, who have been your musical influences, Victor, with your particular, you know, style of music? Well, if you like Paquito and you like Arturo, you're going to love my record because they are two of my favorite uh, players. Uh, those two. Um, oh, so the, I hit it on the nail. <laughs> you hit it. You couldn't have hit it better because they're Cuban like me. Because they're super talented musicians, yes, they you know, are. because they're instrumentalists, so all of that. Uh, Pat Matheny is my probably my biggest influence when it comes to uh, writing and sonics, just how things sound and how they mm-hmm. develop and how they tell a story. And then Paquito and Arturo are great examples of this improvisational Latino roots, which you'll also hear yes. on the album. It's full of percussion. We had a drummer and a percussionist named Alex Acuna, who is one of the very best drummers and percussionists in the world. Hired him to play on the album because I wanted that foundation. Uh, Ruben Blades, Ruben Blades, you may know him as an actor. Yes, he's all, he's yes, also, I do. yeah, he's an incredible salsa singer and has some of the very best salsa bands in the world. Well, really? I did not know that. Oh my God, go listen to his stuff. Oh he, my gosh. He, yeah, he, if you like Arturo and uh, Paquito, uh, he, his last album, one of his last albums called Mundo. Uh, M-U-N-D-O means world. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. He takes this Latin influence, salsa influence, and mixes it in with things like bagpipes and flutes and violins and just knocks it out of the part. But you can go back to the 1980s and listen to Ruben. He was one of the most influential salsa artists in the world. Uh, and so huge influence on both myself and Joe. Uh, you know, huge Steely Dan fan. You know, forever, yes. you know, about my music. And they were pretty much studio musicians, really. Yeah, they they, yeah. Uh, they hired the best studio musicians in the world. So all of this influences, you know, play a part. Uh, they certainly do in this record. And this record is a great um, representation of where Joe and I are after four, we've been friends for 42 years. We've been playing music for 42 years. So it's a great celebration of that friendship and a great celebration of where we are at as musicians at 58 and 57, uh, respectively. You know what I appreciate about that? Because, you know, I think, um, well, for one thing, Devin had taught me, my son Devin taught me to really appreciate, you know, like Arturo when he plays off the horn. Oh, it's, it's just spectacular. You, I just, I'm in, amazed at his talent. 
And I think what I love about music, I, d I don't play, unfortunately, I don't play an instrument. Um, but I admire people like you and my son that do because I think music, once you have that gift of playing music when you're at a young age, it carries you through your whole life. I, I know when I worked um, as a nurse, there would be doctors that would play in like the symphony. Um, they always played aside from, you know, their, their profession, their career. And I think it's just wonderful you've come full circle and you're back into music, you know, after you retire. Um, I, I think that's just spectacular how that can follow you like that. It is wonderful. It is a gift that, you know, I had to kind of put away for many years because I was, you know, the professional IT guy making the big bucks and stuff. But it is it is a muse that just keeps on giving. And whenever you're ready to put back the effort and the time to practice and all of that, it comes back to you and, you're, and you can be right back into that creative place, you know, now and knowing all of this other stuff that you know about life. And, and you're right. When it comes to uh, people like Arturo, uh, who is an incredible improvisationalist, you know, he can make music up as he goes along when he's playing in those songs. He's mostly making that stuff up on the top of his head. Improvisation <laughs> is called, it's in, instantaneous, uh, uh, basically, composition, right? And so, it, yeah. so that's a really special gift that guys like that have. And that comes along with this jazz idiom that I'm in, is that you all, you can have structure, but then within the structure, you have this ability to just create, instantaneously create. And, and there's nothing like it. There's no bigger high than when you know you're in the pocket and you're playing with some players and you are just creating instantly and you go, wow. And that's the magic about jazz. You know, the only original form of American music, by the way. Yes, it is. And you know what I love about it is that I when I used to go to New York, um, they had uh, Cleopatra's Needle. And um, it was just a little club. And on Friday and Saturday nights, they would just have these musicians come in you know, and they would rotate and they would just do improv all night. And it was really exciting when you see musicians in the groove and you know that they're, you know, they have something special and they're, they're just reacting off the crowd and what they're playing. Now, do you play every night? I mean, do you get together with your bandmates, you know, once or twice a week? And, and how do you write your music? Do you just... How do you do that? No, this was a studio album. Uh, the, this is not a band. These were 17 musicians that Joe and I hired to come in and play parts that Joe and I had composed. We had done mm -hmm. that in Logic. We had done that through MIDI, uh, Musical Instrument Digital Interface. He would write at his house. I would write at my house. And uh, and we'd come together. And then Joe uh, is an orchestrator and arranger. So he would take the parts we had written on our keyboards. We'd play them on keyboards or on sax. And he would actually write out musical scores. And then mm -hmm. we would get the musicians they could come here to the studio, come to their house, and I would take uh, a recording rig with me, and then we would record their performance, uh, you know, of our music. That's how we did it. Do you find, um, now, do you play tenor? Is that what you, you play, Victor? Do you play tenor and alto, or what, what do you play for an instrument? Tenor, alto, soprano, clarinet. Oh, wow. So do you find when you're writing music, is it just you start just more or less, you know, canoodling on the instrument and you think, oh, this 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 could be something and you just start expanding on that? I mean, how do you create a composition? I guess that's what I'm asking. Yes. Sometimes it really is noodling and you are you are just, um, you know, I'm, I I play keyboards just enough to noodle and to be able to take in logic and put down a musical idea. Oh, this kind of sounds good to my ear. And so I would create a, a little bit of an idea and then I would send it to my friend Joe, you know, via Dropbox. He would bring it mm -hmm. in and go, oh, I think I hear that. I think what you're really going for is this. And they would send me an, uh, an alternate version. And slowly, slowly, we would create the music that way. And that, that's kind of how I do it. Sometimes I would create it on my saxophone play it into a mic and then and and then just send him that. Sometimes I would do it with my little clumsy keyboard chops, just enough of an idea to get it going. And then, you know, we build it, we build it, and then you make that arrangement where you say, oh, it would be neat to hear flutes here. It would be neat to hear a guitar solo here. And, and so slowly, slowly, you build that, that composition into something that is uh, more complex and, uh, and, and it more sounds like what you heard in your head. So really, you're just an, an uh, auditory artist. It's like a canvas. Your your composition's your canvas. Because what you're explaining to me is like when I'm at the canvas painting. You know, you say, "Oh, maybe I need some blue here," and you're you're doing the exact same thing, but except with with instruments, it's, with instrumentation. It's the exact same thing as any art form. You start with a blank canvas, and you are using uh, your talent. 
the colors available to you, the tools available to you to en- enable to evoke your art into a form that can be distributed to others. In your case, I visually. Think music, I think, yeah, yeah I think mad, uh, music is just magic. You know, when I listen to any type of music, whether it's rock or I know Lisa loves rock or jazz or anything, I just think, wow, how did they come about this? How how did the words come? You know, if you're listening to lyrics, how did they figure this out? What what sparked the, this idea? Or the same thing when you, you know, when I listen to Miles Davis, I just think how, what was going through his head when he composed this? I just think it's, it's just a magical thing. I've always thought music was very magical. And I think that's why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It, it is and magical. And I will definitely be buying your album. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. It is magical. Uh, Miles was uh fueled by an incredible amount of talent, an incredible amount of frustration, and an incredible amount of heroin. So, yeah, you know, no, that, that, know, that combination was pretty magical for him. And he, you know, he's one of the elder statesmen of our world. But you're right. But like, you know, as an artist, any artist, there's this 99% sweat that has to go on to your art. You know, all mm-hmm. of those hours where I practice scales, all of those hours where I practice sight reading, all of those hours where I listen to music, with a different intent than the average person. You know, I listened for the sonic quality. I listened for the, the texture of, of the music. And so all of that is like a painter preparing to paint. You know, you've got to be able to do your sketches. You have to be able to know about perspective. You have to be able to know about contrast of color. You know, all of those things that artists get no credit for. You know, people really boo believe that artists just have this pixie dust that is sprinkled upon them and then <laughs> art comes out of there wherever. True. Well, that's True. just not how it happens. Every no. artist you love has put so much time and effort into their art and all they want you to do is to see it or to listen to it or to experience it for yourself. You know, exactly. for whatever for whatever you get out of it. And that is so magical. But again, you know, in this internet lave that I was talking about, it gets lost, right? No, I just turn on Spotify and I just discover, baby. Who cares? Well, you know what? Those artists care, you know? And and so it's important to honor those artists. I'm not saying that because I want you to buy my record. And I've said this in about 10 podcasts in the last month. It's because we it's so easy to forget that just like this podcast that you two, you three put all this effort into, Yes, it's fun and all of that, but it means nothing if no one's listening at the other end. It means nothing. Right. You're right. There is no, some, that's you know. Very well said. Yeah, and very and well so, said. so that that's a lot of a lot of that is why I do it. I, I do I do it for free? Yeah, I, I've told other people in this thing. This album cost me personally twenty four thousand dollars to make. I've made <laughs> I've made four hundred dollars on the record. I've sold forty two copies of the record. That's the truth. But I did that knowing. I had my eyes fully open that I wanted my art to be out there and it didn't matter to me. You know, what I don't want is some young person listening thinking they're going to be a rock star. Just be an artist, be aware of what you're doing and know that, hey man, you want to make money? Don't become a jazz artist for goodness sakes. This is the, I mean, I made the worst possible album for sales you could ever make. The songs are all over three minutes long. It is in the jazz idiom. It only has two songs that have voices in it. It's a, it's a disaster from a marketing perspective, but it's awesome music and you all should listen to it because when you do, you're going to feel something, not that I wanted you to feel, but that the music is invoking on its own. So there you go. I think that's, I think you just said that very eloquently. Thank you. For, yes, absolutely. And I just uh, downloaded your, just downloaded your album. <laughs> I can hear Resolve in the background. Resolve, w- Resolve was inspired by Carlos Santana. Yes, I was just that opening um, definitely sounds like that. Who is another fabulous musician? Another fabulous musician. Yep, I only steal from the best. <laughs> I guess so. Victor, thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I saw you on Mac Voices, and I was so fascinated by the, uh, the interview that I immediately went to Suze and Vicky and said, we've got to have Victor on the show. Because I just well, found it so fascinating and interesting, everything that you went through to create your CD. 
Yeah, it's kind of um, I, I kind of opened a kimono on this one, you know, and I just kind of I wanted people to to see what it was really like. You know, thank you for the compliment. I hope I don't sound too preachy. That's not what I mean. Uh, you know, we all need to do what we need to do. But whether you're a podcaster and wanting to sound better, or you're a musician wanting to be better. You know, we need to all have that internal pride that makes us and drives us towards that. And so that's what we need to invoke in each other, that sense of geekiness and coolness that makes us geeks, right? That takes art and then creates something because we know how to fiddle with gadgets, which I love. So thanks for having me on. Sure. And if, uh, oh, pe- thanks for being and on. if people want to get more information about you, where should they, where should they go? A couple of places. You can find me on Twitter. It's at V-I-C-T-O-R. C-A-J-I-A-O. You can also find me on, va- on Facebook under Victor Cahiao. Uh, I, I am just starting a site that isn't quite finished. Matter of fact, Alyssa just gave me a couple of cool editing things that I need to fix on that because I am a crappy writer. <laughs> and so I'm going to fix that. Uh, but that's called ReflectionMusicServices.com. And in that site, I provide production, recording, voiceover, podcast editing, you know, that kind of a business. If you want someone to do that stuff for you because you don't want to do it, then you can hire myself or Joe and we'll be happy to quote you and, and provide those services. That's uh, reflectionsmusicservices.com. Okay. And all the links will be in the show notes at threegeekyladies.com with the number three spelled out in addition to the Facebook page and our Google Plus page. So I want to thank you so much for listening. Again, thank you so much, Victor, for joining us. And yes, thank you, Victor. And, and everyone, down, go to iTunes and download his album. Yes, Su- Suze hasn't turned it off yet. She's still listening. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time. I'm Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight and friend to Captain Solo. Are you lonely? Is there a girl you've had your eye on that you want to hook up with, but she doesn't know you exist? Well, for $99.99, the Luke Skywalker Jedi Council of Love can get you that girl that you want, but even more desperately need. The way we do this is by meeting with you in secret. During this meeting, you give us a name, location which the target can be found, and a picture of the target. We will then send one of our many Jedi to first hunt down your girl of choice, and then use our Jedi mind trick to make the girl of your dreams a reality. So call 1-888-JEDI-LOVE or visit geekiestshowever.com for more details. So put those days of mastering the Force choke behind you by getting in touch with the Luke Skywalker Jedi Council of Love by listening to the all-new Geekiest Show Ever. Wizard!